This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky. As always, I'm joined by Marion Bright, SpongeBob Delight, Nick Horwat on the other end of this, drinking out of a SpongeBob mug in what is yet another Christmas sweater. Horwat, how excited are you that we're, what, 10 days till Christmas when we're recording this? 10 days, yeah. Depending on which day you consider to be the last, the, the day of Christmas. Because I know a lot of countdowns are shifted because people say it's Christmas Eve. But then there's also Christmas Day. Okay, well, I can argue back with that and say, you know what? It's Christmas season. It's been Christmas since November, whatever the day after Thanksgiving is. Whenever Black Friday was. 26th. Exactly. That's all I was... Because I just know there's a countdown in the Stage E box office, and I think it's like a number off. I think it goes until the 24th. I don't know. It's always weird. But yes, my SpongeBob mug. I love it. Love my. It is a gorgeous mug. It's just his head. For any of you, I mean, I guess you can't see it because it's just listening right now. It's just his. It's his body too. <laughs> for his like little tie, suit and tie are on. But yeah, we're here too. Mm. Yeah, we'll just screenshot that and uh, and put it up on the the tip of the iceberg YouTube or not YouTube, but uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We'll put it all over the place of just you smiling with your SpongeBob. That's right. There's also a great clip whenever we whenever we get to the interview we have later of me noticing a spider crawling out of my wall um, yes. in the middle of the interview and I had to take care of it while Brian Metzer was talking. Yes. For, so. So, so for all of those that watch our stuff on YouTube, you will get to actually see that because our Brian, whole Brian Metzer interview, which by the way, on this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg, Brian Metzer, friend of the show, comes back. He is now a recurring guest and it seems like you know, he's a guy that uh, will probably be on this program several, several times before this season is said and done. We are glad to have him and excited for you guys to hear this interview with him because it's always great A material, Horwat. It's always amazing. So, Brian Metzer interview coming up. Obviously, in a few seconds, we're going to start our recap of the Penguins' win over the Montreal Canadiens 5-2. to We're going to talk a little bit about the, you know, rumors that have been spreading throughout Twitter. Fort Knox has been broken a little bit, and we actually know something about Ron Hextall's plans. We'll talk about that, and then we're obviously going to finish this show off, as we always do, with our shout-outs and call-outs segment, one of my favorite segments of every week, of any podcast I do, of anything that I speak of, the words that are coming out of my mouth. I'm always happier when it's shout-outs and call-outs. So, let's get into it, Horwat. Penguins defeat the Montreal Canadiens, 5-2. to two. If you listened on Monday's episode, yes, I said 5-1, to one, Horwat said 4-1, to one, so I was closer. And if only Mike Matheson would have only made one Matheson blunder, then it would have been a 5-1 to one game. But he made two, hence the reason the Canadiens beat Tristan Jari twice. But a 5-2 to two win for the Penguins. Most contested matchup between these two teams, in my opinion, of the season. I mean, this is the third and final matchup between them. The Penguins take the season series 2-1. to one, But I think this was the closest game that we have seen between these two teams because I feel like the Penguins just ran them out of the building in Montreal in the first meeting, and, and really ran them out of the building even though they lost in Game 2. This one, I think the Penguins dominated a lot of the play, but I think the Canadians had a little bit more push. Uh, yeah, it was very back and forth the entire game. There were more very close uh, post-hits than there were goals. 
Like, every opportunity that was counter... Like, it seemed like every time a post was hit by a shot, the other team immediately countered and scored, too. It was a wild game that was very evenly matched, especially for a team that's not doing so well in the Montreal Canadiens right now. But they looked decent. They looked put together, and I forgot Mike Hoffman was on that team. (laughs) I forgot... Nick Suzuki was there. I don't know how I forgot that one. But it's a wild, interesting team that you look at some of the names, you figure it should be a little better, and they played fairly well, like I said. A couple of those posts go in, we have a much a much different dynamic to that game. Mm-hmm. And one of those posts that I do want to specifically outline is Jason Zucker early on. He gets a two-on-one, him and Danton Heinen. Heinen sends a beautiful sauce pass across the rink. Zucker gets it past Jake Allen rings it off the post. Now, at that point, I thought, okay, here we go again. It's going to be a replay of the second game. We're just not going to have puck luck. We're not going to score goals. But luckily, as we'll get to in a minute, we scored goals and we scored plenty of them. But for Jason Zucker specifically, I saw this tweet by Bob Grove last night. A lot of people did, obviously. Three goals in the first six games for Jason Zucker. One in his last 22. He's doing everything else really well, but... How much does it worry you that he's not actually finishing? Like, does that bother you? Is him doing everything else correctly and actually very well? Hits, block shots, everything like that. Does it make up for the fact that he's not scoring where it, it counts? It helps that he's contributing otherwise. I'll give him that. It is concerning, though, because it's not, it's not that we got him in the first place when the Jake Gensel injury happened. It's not that we got Jason Zucker to be a goal scorer. It is that we got him because he's a good player and can play well in this system. But what is mostly concerning is the fact that he is not scoring despite um, his statement before the season and uh, that saying he wanted to shoot the puck more and score more. He's not really doing that. Now, granted, he might be shooting more than he was. I haven't looked at those numbers, but it's the fact that they're not going in um, isn't ideal. He's a player that can score goals. We've seen it and we don't know what it is. Even before he got to Pittsburgh, we we uh, knew that he could score. You know, he had a 30-goal season in Minnesota. He has this capability. So it's a matter of refinding that for him, and it's just taking a lot longer than it should have. It is concerning, absolutely, because um, we know he can do it. He said he can do it, and it's just not happening for whatever reason, especially when you look at those numbers that Bob Grove just said. What was it, one in the last how many? 20? 22 games. Yeah, that's not good enough. That's a downright, no matter who he's playing with, whether it be Crosby, Malkin, Carter, whoever, that's just not good enough. Mm-hmm. So last season, Jason Zucker in 38 games played, put 67 shots on goal. Right now in 28 games played, so 10 less, he has 78. So he is shooting the puck a lot more, but his shooting percentage last year was also 13.4%. Right now, 5.1. So he's just not finding the back of the net. And it's not for lack of trying this season, where last year you could make that excuse where he wasn't really shooting the puck, but he still got nine goals. This year, he's shooting the puck a lot, but as we just mentioned, only four thus far. And that's that's not it. It's good that he's shooting more. It's good that he's holding up that end of the bargain. It's good that he is taking his chances, but you have to capitalize, especially on a team like this that is now missing a Gensel a rust and we've been missing a Malkin. We've been we missed Crosby for a little bit. Uh who else has gone down? Everyone. Mm-hmm. You that can't fly on a team that is kind of hampered at all times. 
Yeah. You know, especially when you're one of the healthy ones somehow. If you're a, if you're one of the healthy players and has that ability, you have to produce. And sure, you're taking your opportunities, and that's great. And that is step one. Now you just got to get to step two. Yeah, when you talk about Jason Zucker, and we knew he was a goal scorer, he was a multiple 20 goal scorer, yeah. multiple time 20 goal scorer with the Minnesota Wild. So we expected to get that in return. And yes, it's nice that he does everything. I like Jason Zucker on this team. I think that he has played extremely well with Jeff Carter, and I think we have something there for a third line whenever or if we ever get to full health. But we used a first-round pick and a really good defensive prospect in Kalen Addison to get Jason Zucker. We also luckily got rid of Alex Galchenyuk, but that's just a different story. You trade a top prospect and a first-round pick for a guy who, listen, he's doing everything but scoring. If I wanted a guy that does everything but score goals, that's not a first-round pick. That's a second, maybe, third-round pick. We traded a first-round pick. You need Jason Zucker to start scoring more. Everything that he, else that he's doing is great, and I love the way that he has played this year. I think there's a lot more of a pulse to him, a lot more of a heartbeat to him this year. I think he has everything kind of a little bit more under control because I feel like last season he doesn't hit that post. Last season he tries to dish that puck back to Danton Heinen. So I'm glad at what the strides he has made. I think he just, part of it's puck luck, 5% shooting percentage, eventually that has to come up at least a little bit. And the other part is being able to finish in those areas where we've seen him have some nice finish. Sometimes it just hasn't gone well for him as of late. So that's, that's our opinions on Jason Zucker. He still doesn't score a goal in this game. Again, one in the past 22 games after scoring three in the first six games. We'll keep an eye on that. Penguins, they get five goals last night, though. None of them by Jason Zucker, but we get Kasperi Kapanen playing keep away, basically, with Jake Allen's glove, tipping it over his glove. That was a one to nothing goal. Evan Rodriguez showing the OV-esque power play slap shot, one of the best one-timers we've seen all season long. That made it 2 to nothing. Mike Matheson scored, had an interesting game. I mean, Mike Matheson, after we praised him, at least I praised him. I won't throw that on you. I praised him on Monday's episode. Two really bad plays that led to both goals for the Montreal Canadiens. But after one bad play, he was able to come back and get a goal from the point. Nice slap shot goal beats Jake Allen. That made it 3-1. to one. Brian Dumoulin gets his first goal of the season. I believe he also got the bold penguin helmet of the game or whatever they're calling it. So he gets a goal that made it 4-2. to two, And Brian Boyle late in the game makes it 5-2. to two. Nice to see Double B get on the scoreboard there. But that's who the Penguins had on the score sheet. On the Hab side of it, Jonathan Drouin, directly after the Erod goal, made it 2-1. to one. Mm-hmm. You didn't want to see that. And then Jesse Yalonen, I don't I'm not saying that right. He made it three to two with three seconds left in the second period. So the goals that you gave up, not opportune times. There, there are times where obviously three seconds left in the period, you want to get into the into the intermission. If you're Tristan Jari, you got screened on that goal by Mike Matheson. Very well. And then the first goal, you know, that's a bad turnover again by Mike Matheson. So realistically, they're bad times to give up the goals. But the Penguins played a really yeah, good game. Yeah, no. Like I'm not, I'm not going to nitpick on this game because they won five to two. They they dominated. Tristan Jari made 28 saves on 30 shots, so he had another solid game. The Penguins played a really solid game. The timing of those goals are bad, but nobody can have a perfect game. And the Habs, you know, they took it to them in those moments, but it felt like most of the game the Penguins were under they control. Were, and you you talk about the goals. I just I did want to take a minute and say that 
Kapanen goal, seeing it in person in real time, just nutty. Nutty. We we talked about the Zegers and Milano goal for about an hour, it seemed. Not that long ago, yeah. and we're going to discuss it again later. We'll get to it later, though. But seeing Kapanen do that in real time was the wildest shit I've seen at a hockey game in so long. That I don't think it got talked about enough. Like, yeah, it's, you know, he was able to, you know, uh, what's it called on the stick? Choke up on it, and it really did look like a bunt, but that's not something that would have happened 20 years ago. Well, no. Like, the kick from Rodriguez? Yes. The kick to the up, and it, because watching Allen reach for it and then just you know, bunted clear over his glove, like, perfectly. It looked like a, it looked like an animation. Just, it landed Mm -hmm. perfectly. I don't know. I was in awe over it. I was just, especially to start the game. It was Mm -hmm. wild, but, and then, you're right. uh, Rodriguez with the Ovechkin-like slap shot. Um, It is a crime. He's not uh, on the all-star fan vote list, honestly. Like, Three point three point game for him on Tuesday. <laughs> it's a crime. He's not on that list. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe Gensel just needs to remain hurt again, so someone else can step in for his. No, I don't. But no, we, we don't need that. need that. We don't need that this year. <laughs> um, he's looked so good, and then Crosby broke the same record twice last night. Yeah, he broke it once, got it taken away, and then got it <laughs> broken again. And that record is Sidney Crosby recorded his four hundredth multi point game on Tuesday. 14th player to ever do that. And when you think about it, he had two assists on Tuesday's game. That's how he recorded it. But when you think about it, I was like, oh, 400 multi-point games. That's like, that seems ridiculous on its own. When you think about the fact that that's 37% of the games that he plays, that he's scoring multiple points, absolutely ridiculous. And not only that, it's at minimum 800 points. 800 of his however many career points. I forget now. Like 1,200 at this point. Are close like that's to. that's the other thing you you do the math on it, it and it's well it's 400 times he's had multi points points at minimum it is 800 points yeah clearly he has some three and four point games in there but you don't have that count you know it's at minimum and some five point yeah. games and i think a six point game somewhere it's, it is <laughs> at minimum 800 of his here we go 1342 points i undersold him by a while wow yeah yeah, by by 132 <laughs> points. Um, but yes, it's that's damn impressive, especially this season. One thing I was thinking about while watching the game yesterday, though, is I haven't seen Crosby score a goal in person in a long time. I'd, it seems like he doesn't score very exactly. often anymore. I mean, it's he yeah. does. No, he 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 collects his goals. He's not a guy that's going to go out there and put up 40. Because he's right now more of a facilitator than he ever has been, but he collects his goals every once in a while. Sometimes they're empty netters. Someone has to score but them. Somebody has to score them exactly. So uh, there was one other milestone, and it wasn't Brian oh, Dumoulin right. finally scoring a goal this season. The other milestone: Chris Letang, six hundredth career assist. Great for Chris Letang. He's not at a thousand. Is he a thousand points no. yet? No, there's no way he's at a thousand points yet with six hundred assists. But I don't know. Is is there a chance that he gets to a thousand? I don't even know how many career points he, he has. He only has like hundred some goals. So that was the six hundred so, yeah, career no, there's, points. There's a point or point. assist? 
135 goals, 465 assists for 600 points clean. I would say, when you said assists, I did a double take. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's not the correct number, but... Okay, well, I had the notes down wrong. But yeah, still, 600 career points, incredibly impressive for Chris Letang as a defenseman, especially in the National Hockey League. He's had a great career. And that actually leads us to another discussion Mm -hmm. that I want to have. On Tuesday... During the game, you know, obviously, we keep track of Twitter, all the fun little nuggets that Bob Grove puts out, and we'll get to that a little bit later. All the nuggets that our buddy Hunter Hodes over at Locked on Penguins puts out. All the nuggets that basically most content creators have a lot of nice little little facts and stats that come out just, during the game. Well, Danny Shirey Irving. memes myself. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yes, Danny Irving. Danny Shirey Irving of DK Pittsburgh Sports, he posted via Pierre Lebrun at TSN and stated that the Penguins are interested in signing Chris Letang to a short-term extension after the season. Obviously, Chris Letang playing on a contract year. A lot of players for the Pittsburgh Penguins playing on a contract year, but Chris Letang being one of the biggest names, along with Evgeny Malkin and Brian Rust. But apparently the Penguins, and Fort Knox himself, Ron Hextall, has leaked something out to the tune of that they want to sign Latang to a short-term extension after the season. Also stated that Latang is looking for a longer deal. So basically what it sounds like is the Penguins, they want a short-term deal to prolong this window a little bit maybe, but not get attached to it whenever they want to burn it all down. They don't know when that's going to be, so they want to keep their options open. That's basically what it sounds like from the Penguin side. For Latang's side, it sounds like He's trying to secure the the rest of his career in Pittsburgh. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like he this is the last time he wants to make a contract, uh, make a deal, and he wants it to be the last deal he signs in Pittsburgh. He wants a long deal so he can just know that that's going to be the rest of his career. First things first, Horwat, do you want Latang back after this season? Okay, now that I've mentioned and made sure that you're not losing your mind, and psychotic, because anybody that says no to this is psychotic. So now that we uh, got that out of the way, obviously the Penguins need Chris Letang back after this season. The guy plays almost 30 minutes a game, power play, penalty kill, short hit, like everything. 600 career points, all that jazz. Let's get to the harder questions then. How long would you want to see his contract be for? I'm a fan of the short-term deal. I'm a fan of that, because he can demand the money. You know, he can demand a good high AAV. Um, But once you start getting into the idea of a long-term deal with a guy that is going to be pushing 35 this offseason, you don't want to put all of the eggs in that basket of, we're going to give you a six-year deal, or whatever he may want, five, four, I don't know. What are we we defining as a short and a long-term also? I mean... See, that's I don't know, because that's very much in the eye of whoever's yeah, talking. I, I would say two to three years is fine, because, again, you can demand that high price tag. You can. You're Crystal Tang. You've been here forever. I'm not saying you can demand the sun and the moon, because you are going to be 35. But you're entitled to your payment, especially since you're hitting 35 and you haven't shown too many signs of falling off like i think i've been predicting for years and years now maybe i should shut up about it but the fact that that hasn't rolled around yet 
it makes sense that you know a short-term deal uh, is perfect because you don't want to be paying him. What's he making now? Seven five, seven two five. Mm-hmm. You don't want to say make it just say seven. You don't want to be paying a forty-year-old seven million dollars, especially if he if his career is basically over, and you can tell on the ice. That's a seven million dollar yeah. paperweight. You want if yeah. he goes long if he wants longer term, sure. You're taking a massive pay cut then because of the last few years of it. That's the way I look at it. Whereas if you want to earn your money like you deserve, take two years. Come back in two years. Because again, odds are if you keep playing like this, we'll have the same discussion. Hey, how's about two more years? Same price. You work out literally the same exact contract. I mean, I know this isn't how it works, and we're dealing with agents and not yeah. players. <laughs> yeah. But in high, it just on paper it makes the most sense to say, all right, sign for two years at seven million. If you're still that productive in two years at the age of thirty-seven, the way you've played your career with a laundry list of injuries, then we'll come back to that. You still you still have all that here. Same exact contract again. Seven million for two more years push you into your thirty-nine. Whereas if you want to sign long term until you're forty now, nope. Here's two million dollars because we're not putting that much money into what could fall apart. Yeah. So I would like to lean towards the the short yeah. term because. Obviously, you want to keep your options open for the future. Chris Letang plays a game, and, and you mentioned this. You just said that you thought the same thing. You've been predicting that his game was going to fall off. He plays the game of hockey with almost reckless yeah. abandon. And he plays 30 minutes a game. So eventually, there's I feel like there's not going to be a steady decline in Chris Letang's game. One day, he's basically going to go out on the ice, and it's going to be it's, gone. We're just going to wake up one morning, and his, bone, and his bones will be made of glass. And yeah, he'll be the exactly. SpongeBob character. So, obviously, we don't know when that's going to happen. It doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon. He's having an absolutely yeah. fantastic contract season right now. So, you want to re-sign him because he's the leader of your defense. He is the guy on the blue line for the Pittsburgh Penguins and has been for a long time. So, how long do I want to see this contract before? I'd like to see him sign a four-year deal. It's not, I feel like that's not long. I feel like that's not short. I don't know what either side is looking for here, but I would like to see him paid for four more years because if you can do that, that can get the AAV down a little bit more. We just learned from the general manager's meeting that the salary cap is going to go up $1 million next year to 82 point or 80. Yeah, it was 83.1. I don't know. It's going up $1 million from what it is now. I think it's 81.5. Now it'll go up to 82.5 next season. Yeah. So it's only going up 1 million. The league predicts that this escrow payment that the players owe the league for the the COVID shortened season is going to be paid off in three years. And then we're going to see a massive jump in salary cap because of how much money the league is making. They're having a great year revenue wise. They predict, I believe a little over 5 billion. So that's crazy. Um, so when we look at this in four years, the cap will be back to where it needs to be. And then you can renegotiate one or two year deals with a, a, a tremendous amount of money there. Give them the four year deal. Take a little, little off the top. Even if you want to front load it, do that front load the contract. So if he does fall off, you can, I mean, I know there's only one player that's ever been bought out of the Pittsburgh Penguins under Mary Lemieux and that was Jack Johnson, but 
leave it open that that could be a possibility. I doubt they would buy out Chris Letang. That'd be a media shitstorm. And uh, honestly, I think a four-year deal is exactly where you want Chris Letang to be at. Do I think that's going to be what plays out? No. And we'll talk about that now. How do I think this is going to play out? I think it's going to end up being a two-year deal for lots of money. I'm okay with that as well. I get uh, the cap situation is weird, especially when we have a ton of guys to re-sign. But Mm -hmm. I think just because of his age and because of his play, two years makes the most sense. And let's say he falls off. You don't have to worry about that buyout. Because here's the thing as well. You're saying you you want the four-year. The four-year would have him expire a year after Crosby, the same year Mike Matheson expires, and, oh, yeah, the same year uh, Jack Johnson's buyout wraps up. So I get where you're going for with that. That's a lot ending at the same time. But, again, who knows if – if you think in in the standpoint of best for the team, I'm going two years – large money because he does because he can demand that and Mm -hmm. for what it's worth as of right now his play can still demand that yeah whereas if you go four years you got to take some off the top like you said Mm -hmm. and then go from there but the thing is we're dealing with agents four years there how we think of the play out let's say he wants four years we're dealing with agents okay well he's going to be worth seven million for the first two you know that why not complete the contract at $7 million? Well, because we don't want to pay $7 million to a 40-year-old. Unless his name is Sidney Crosby. Yeah. I don't know, though, because I feel like the Penguins value... Obviously, nobody values anybody higher than Sidney Crosby in that organization. That would yeah. be silly. They value Chris Letang very highly. I mean, I don't know how Hextall and Burke, because they haven't been there. They've only been there for less than a year now. But the majority of that organization, chief among them... Mario Lemieux, who everything has to get passed by, I would imagine. I would imagine when it comes to those guys, you cannot make a move with them, and it doesn't go through Mario first. So there, I feel like they hide him, hold him in such a high esteem that they're going to work very hard to keep him in Pittsburgh for and keep him happy in Pittsburgh for as long as you know he can play and, and as long as he would like. Yeah, that's it. it. That's what we want. That's what everyone wants. That's what everyone in the organization. That's what the, everyone of those three players want is to be penguins for life. They've all said it multiple times. Yeah. I think Crosby's been kind of the most real about it. Like he understands the business, but then again, he also has the longest damn contract of the three. Well, he's also the most secure. In his Absolutely. Position, so let's not joke. Let's not pretend like Sidney Crosby doesn't know that they'll give him the sun and the moon. The state. Absolutely. Of uh, one thing I'm curious about though, is I mean, is Latang's contract going to be bigger than Malkin's next one? See, I don't so know. That's the hard one. Is there is there a way that you could see dueling contracts for Malkin and Latang? They get the same money in the same years. I don't. I don't know if that's going to happen because there's no way you're going to be able to do that unless you do it at the same exact time. Because one of them is going to come out first, and the other one's going to want more money. Yeah, and the other thing too, there is for that to even be possible, Malkin's got to come out and explode. He's got to That's... hop the hell off to really earn some dough this year. Not that he can't, but if he wants his, uh, what is it? He's making nine five. If he wants his team high again, I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong. He's probably going to demand it anyway, and might and could get it. But my God, your injuries these past few years, 
your your inevitable yeah. decline in play that we say gritted teeth. Nine five for a thirty five soon to be thirty six year old Russian who has an elbow, a knee, and other issues. Hey. Yeah. We already have to basically know that there's several million dollars in his next contract, and I mean Malkins, that is just legend. Of course, that's it's just legend dollars. It's just literally this is this is the baseline of how much you're gonna pay him, the player, and here's the baseline of how much you're gonna pay him because he's a Penguins legend, and then that's gonna get put together. That's that's basically how that's gonna work out. But I talked about this with Doug on Tuesday, actually. It's been so long, and you were in the you saw the messages as well because it was in our group chat. It's been so long, and I know it's only been like six months, but it feels like it's been so long since I've seen Evgeny Malkin play that I almost forget what his impact is going to be when he comes back. And then I have to remind myself he was on a he was on one knee in the playoffs yeah. and was the best damn player on a Penguins team that, it, apart from Tristan Jari, was playing very good hockey. Yeah. So, it's a point of reference that when he comes back in the lineup i'm not exactly sure what's going to happen because i don't remember like hockey you can have such a short-term memory when you're trying to watch all these games and you're like okay you start understanding what team you're going to see every single night and it goes back to this this and this and then but six months ago 30 games ago about was the last time we saw Evgeny malkin put on a penguin sweater and go out there as the second line center so I don't know what that looks like. You don't know what that looks like with this year's team. I know it's basically the same team as last year, but I would I would say there's a lot of players that are different players than they were last year that were even in the same organization. And then you obviously add Heinen and McGinn, who are completely different human beings. And there's gonna be it's gonna it's gonna mesh differently. It might work. It might be it might work better. It might work just the same, but it's gonna mesh differently. It's gonna look different. And it's just been so long that I don't know what Evgeny Malkin's gonna look like. And that was the that was the basically the entire conversation. And it's just like I'm waiting to see what's gonna happen there before I even make try to make an assumption on what his next contract looks like. I feel like he takes less money, but that's just a gut feeling, and I don't know if that's actually gonna happen. You want a hard pill to swallow? This early Always. in the morning at eleven forty eight AM? Uh, this team is playing perfectly fine sure. without him right now. I mean, that's not a hard... That's actually a pretty... That's not even a pill to swallow. That's like one of those Nutri-Grain gummies or whatever it was. Like, that's easy to swallow. I love the fact that this team is playing well despite having these players out. Like, <laughs> you want me to f- how can you... How can you... How can that be a hard pill to swallow? Because it's like, yeah, they're fine without him, but don't tell me they're going to win a Stanley Cup without him because they're not. Okay. I was, gonna, I was just going to follow it up with new regime... They haven't seen Malkin play much, really. Sure, they saw him in the playoffs okay. on one leg. Hey, yo, I'm just trying to be, I'm being, not pet, devil's advocate, advocate, being a pessimist here for a minute and saying, yeah. last year of a 35-year-old's contract that's making a ton of money is going to demand a lot of money. He's a UFA. Uh, mm-hmm. Sure, they're, they don't want to, guaranteed they don't want to. But other teams in the KHL are always an option for Russian players. Yeah. And again, Listen, I don't want this to happen you're... either. This is me being a pessimist. But I was sitting there yeah. watching the game yesterday thinking, holy shit, this team is pretty damn good without Malkin. Can they go far? No. But, again, that age thing. He's 35. Jeff Carter is currently 37, 38 as our second-line center. 
you get a young second line center implemented in there over Jeff Carter, who is leaving at the end of this year, regardless. You find another young center. Seems like it. Suddenly, you got Crosby, two young centers, and a future. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm saying I want this to happen, but I'm saying getting in the mind of agents, of management, and of reality possibilities. Mm-hmm. That we may not see Malkin for too much longer. Now, me talking back. I'm back in my own head. Mm. Yeah, no, this dude's going to make a ton of money next year here as our second line center, regardless of his age. Maybe, maybe, will he take yeah. a pay cut? Maybe. But, again, he if he comes out, out, out of his injury and pops off, all of a sudden he's making $10 million again next year. Yeah, we saw Alex Ovechkin just get a little bit more money, but that's also... I mean, you take into account everything. When these agents look at everything, they they look at everything as comparables to get their their client the most amount of money possible. But like when you say stuff like, you know, he's a 35 year old center, soon to be 36 after the season, I like I I'm sorry, I can't help but roll my eyes because you can't just label him a 35 year old center. Yeah, sure, Joe Thornton is a 40 some year old whatever. Okay, he's Joe Thornton. He he'll get what he gets. He is, at this point, like a 40-year-old whatever. Patrick Marlowe, at the end of his career, was basically his age and not his name. Evgeny Malkin, to this organization, is not just a 35-year-old center. And there, it's almost ignorant to just try to even say that, just because there's no way that they're going to be able to objectively look at that. And I don't care if Hextall and Burke have barely seen him play since they've taken over. They have eyes. They've watched this sport They've watched his entire career. They've been around the, the sport his entire career. They know what he is. They know what he is in Pittsburgh, especially. And if, if they don't know, which they do, but if they don't know, Mario Lemieux and Sidney Crosby will kindly remind them. So th- th- there's no way. I mean, we t- we started this off by talking hmm. about Latang, but there is there is no way that Evgeny Malkin does not finish his career, at least NHL career, in the city yeah, of Pittsburgh. You're absolutely right. And it's going to be a couple more yeah, seasons, yeah. at least. You're absolutely right. I just had to look at the dark side because it was Star Wars night and the dark side was everywhere. Um, yeah, also, quick side note. Is, do, the, do the Canadians, are they the only team that gets these theme nights? Uh, I don't know. Because a couple years ago, Star Wars night was against the Canadians as well. And then they had, I was they at had that French uh, language night, Canadians, but that one just made sense. Well, that's, yeah. That's pretty obvious. But, yes, but back on topic, both of them, in my mindset, do deserve their money and do deserve to play here for the rest of their careers. Again, I'm not the one in okay. management, though. Yeah, well, true. And we've seen weirder things in sports. We have. That's why Tom Brady is going to win us another Super Bowl in Tampa Bay instead of in New England. But uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we're joined by our good buddy, Mets. Brian Metz are on the show. We'll be right back. Football fans, I'm sure we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game. But with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point is scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on all the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN 
bet $1 on any team to score and win $100 in free bets if they score. If they score, you score with promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. We mentioned earlier in the show that we were going to be joined by a very special guest, one of our best friends in the city of Pittsburgh. We welcome on Brian Metzer, hockey writer and host of the Penguins Radio Network. Brian, how's it going today, buddy? Oh, I'm wonderful, guys. It's great to be back with you. It's been a little while since we caught up. I think it was just before the Penguins were unceremoniously dispatched from the playoffs last year. So it's good to to get back together while we have some fun things to talk about in a new season. Yeah, it's a ton of fun to be back. Those aren't the, weren't the greatest of times, but now it's a new year. Things look far better for a lot of different reasons and a lot of different things. And for what it's worth, things are slowly getting back to normal as well. Yeah, it certainly feels that way, right? Even though we have the specter looming of wondering what the heck is going to happen with February if uh, the league decides not to go to the Olympics. And I know we were just talking in the radio studio last night about how, you know, you're you're trying to figure out, do you have a couple of weeks off during the season? Are they going to pigeonhole a bunch of games from the end of April into that month? But to your point, yes, uh, it does feel like the world is getting back to normal a lot more than it was when we spoke last. And the Penguins are starting to feel a lot more normal with some guys getting back in, even though they're still not 100% intact. Yeah. I mean, they've played very well, especially as of late. If you look at the past three weeks, they've had a lot of success, minus a game in Calgary that we should probably not mention too, too much. <laughs> or Mike Sullivan might just yell at us through the uh, through. He's seen mad as air. could be, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, you feel bad for Josh a little bit, but I mean, that is part of the gig. That was his most terse presser of the season, I think, uh, mm-hmm. just with all the one word answers, because he he's been very thorough in the way he's answered questions this year. That night, not so much. So overall, though, they've, they've played well. But uh, what do you believe this Penguins team is missing right now? I mean, what is their biggest weakness at this moment? Um, I, I think for a while there, it was just consistency because they would have periods where they look you know, every bit the Pittsburgh Penguins that we know and love and their offense was clicking and they were just forechecking like crazy, playing good defensive hockey. Obviously, Tristan Jari's been giving them great goaltending, but then you would come out and have a a little bit of a dud period. I think that's what happened in the Calgary game. They started a little bit slow, at least the last one. And then by the time they kind of kicked it into overdrive, it was a little too late to to break through the awesome goaltending they were going up against. And that's something we've talked a whole lot about on our postgame shows is, that that's something that has plagued the Penguins over the years where you have this quote unquote hot goalie syndrome that strikes every so often. And they've done that again this year where once a guy gets locked in against them, it seems as if they just have so much trouble breaking through. And I don't know if it's um, that they're overthinking the shooting or if they're just trying to then create the tic-tac-toe pretty play. But but really, I think the the main weakness might be just consistent play for 60 minutes every single game game in and game out and if they can do that they look like a pretty formidable team even now where they're still missing of getting Malkin Brian Rust obviously out coming out of the COVID situation that they had this year Um, and one other thing I would throw at you guys it's still not quite where I would like it to be their power play 
that that yeah they got the two five on three goals the other night which was an apocalyptic moment i was checking the horizon just to make sure it wasn't a doomsday scenario since they did get a couple goals in that spot but it, it that's an area where you you always see them thrive on with the extra man and this year it's not been there for me near as often as it needs to be and who knows how many games they could have won earlier this year had they been able to score a power play goal yeah you mentioned the power play but um one thing that's definitely not lacking right now is the penalty kill and that's you know been one of the bright spots of the year and um what or who on that unit has impressed you the most and is someone submerging as like a leader emerging as a leader out of those guys um you know they've done a, a nice job as a unit no matter who's out there and and i know he's not in the lineup right now but i think somebody that helped them at least in their approach to the pk was brian boyle just just coming in and working with some of those guys that are on the unit now. I think they probably learned how important it is to win a face-off shorthanded. Uh, there was a situation where, and I was going to next take you to Teddy Bluger. He has been instrumental in uh, the forward ranks, I think, uh, most nights anyway, in terms of being really effective with the PK. Uh, if you think back to the two-man advantage they had to kill against the Toronto Maple Leafs a couple weeks back, it starts off with a huge face-off win from him. I think they allowed one shot throughout the entire two-man. They're they're getting pucks out when they get the opportunity to do so. And, you know, just every four-man unit that jumps the wall for the PK just does such a great job of sticking with their plan. They're not over-committing to one side or the other, which we've seen in the past from from time to time where they would chase the puck a little bit. They're just kind of staying positionally sound with their PK making solid plays on the wall. When they get a chance to chip it up, they do that. And that was the one thing that I think Boyle maybe helped them with. The last One of the last games he was in, um, I saw him make a really subtle play along the wall in terms of just chipping a puck into an area where someone else could clear it. He saw his teammate there, made a play along the wall, got it to, to a spot where it was cleared the length of the ice, and you're eating up 25 to 30 seconds every time you do that. And it's just worked so well for them. But I think Bluger's been really good in that spot. Um, McGinn, when he gets his chances there, is very good. I think the defensemen have done a great job on the, on the PK this year. And what, they've gone 11 games in a row now without mm-hmm. allowing a power play goal, which is a franchise mark. Uh, they're 20... I think they're closing in on 30 power plays killed in a row as well. It was 25 or 26 uh, at my last count. And when you're, when you're producing like that on any of your special teams, it's going to impact the hockey game. I just wish that they would score a couple more because it would make that even more magnified, but who would have thought we'd have a Pittsburgh Penguins team that would be historically good on the PK and just not very good on the power play. They're always the other way. That's always the thing that they've worked on late in seasons. If you remember back in 09, even that was the big bugaboo that Shiro had to address to help them go on their cup run was their PK. And that's how we ended up with Hal Gill here in Pittsburgh, because he was a a big part of fixing that for them. But right now they, they are just cruising along at what something like 97, almost 98% on the PK. That's unheard of. Yeah. Hats have to be off to Mike Bellucci and the job he's done there with the penalty kill, especially, but, uh, to go into the goaltending, which you did mention a little bit earlier, I mean, the stretch that we've seen since basically the, the blowout in Washington, that was kind of the turning point for Tristan Jari. And since then he has been on a heater where he's only given up two or fewer goals in every single game, except for the Connor McDavid one, which you can excuse that it's Connor McDavid, but is this the best we've ever seen Tristan Jari perform, and is it sustainable for him going forward? Um, I, I don't know that he can stay 
totally at the level that he's at right now. Mm-hmm. But I mean, even if he dips a little, as he did the other the other night, I mean, he let up some goals against Edmonton, and, and even after that. He was still at a 933 save percentage after that game. So that just speaks to how good he has been playing. And I've been very impressed with him because he could have come in and had the boo-boo lip and kind of been scared into infamy here based on what happened last year in the playoffs. I mean, people were ready to run him out of town. And you mentioned that Washington game. I'm sure you guys appreciated this the way that I did. I love that he came out and said he took that personally, that he let up those goals against them and, and that he didn't perform the way he wanted to. And he has just been outstanding ever since. You can really trace it back to, I would say that the, a few weeks ago when they played the Buffalo Sabres right ahead of that winning streak, they came out <clears throat> excuse me, and had the third period where they really pushed. They couldn't get that game tied up, and they ended up losing. But from then on, the team as a whole, but Tristan Jari especially, has looked like a different guy. They just wanted to win hockey games. He's been rolling along, making every first save. He looks big in the net. I like the way he's challenging. That's something that that he's doing a little bit differently than he has in the past. He's not staying deep in the net too much. Uh, You've seen him come out to the top of that, that crease area. He's active with his stick. He's doing all these little things. And we, we were noticing even out of his equipment the other night, not as if he looks like he's some Hercules now or something like that, but he looks, this is going to sound stupid, but he looks like a, an athlete. Now he just looked more, more filled out. Uh, his, he has a jawline, all these kinds of things. And I don't know if he was just working hard on conditioning in the offseason. I know he worked hard with Andy Kyoto in terms of his approach to playing goal. And maybe all of that just has worked very well to get him to where he is. But he's been outstanding for them. I'm really looking forward to seeing him try to maintain this. He's on pace to play something like 65 games this year, which the Penguins have only had a goalie play uh, that many games were they were over 60 in a season, eight times since the 2000 2001 season. All of those were Mark Andre Fleury, except for once where uh, Hedberg did it. So, <laughs> other than that, yes. they've not really had a guy that could play all of these games for the for a team and backstop them the way that Jari is right now. And I I was kind of I guess encouraged by the way Casey DeSmith played just last night uh, because they were in a spot where you almost had to play Jari every single night because you were losing every game that his backup played. And it had a lot of us wondering if they would consider Louis Domingue at some point just to, to give someone else an opportunity. But if you can get Casey back to being a solid backup to give Jari an occasional night off, I think he can do a pretty good job of staying somewhat at the level he is at right now, which is outstanding. But it's hard to stay at under two goals, two or less goals per night as a, an NHL goalie with the way these shooters are. But I love what I'm seeing from him right now. And he looks like a whole, a totally different guy than he was just last year in that playoff series where you thought he may have been Jim carried out of the league, ruined, had his psyche destroyed. That's not him now. He looks very strong and mentally tough. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, DeSmith being a solid, finally getting a solid start. We were hot on the Louis Domingue train for a, a little bit now. But, I mean... Other than Jari being very consistent and DeSmith finally pulling it up, um, who in your eyes has been a breakout player for uh, the Penguins so far or like an unsung hero of sort? Um, you know what? When you, you look at this team, it's it's a lot of fun to see guys like Danton Heinen emerge. Uh, he was a very under-the-radar uh, acquisition in terms of free agency. People were like, well, yeah, his, his rookie year was outstanding with uh, Boston, but he's dipped in every season since. I mean, his numbers have dropped off. His shooting percentage has dropped off. And we were saying uh, this year that if he got back to shooting the puck a lot more, he said it as much in uh, training camp that he would be rewarded for that. And I think you can make a case that he has. I know he, 
he has these little streaks where he he's very good offensively for a handful of games and then he dips, but he started the season like gangbusters and it made it a lot easier to lose a guy like Tanev who started out of the gate so hot with his goal scoring for Seattle. I think that you see the way uh, that, that Heinen and McGinn have fit in. It, it helped us forget him. But I think Heinen's a breakout player for them, at least in terms of getting himself back to where he was a couple of years ago in his career. And we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Evan Rodriguez. I mean, this guy to come in and essentially at one point lead this team in scoring, which was funny to see just because nobody, nobody would have anticipated that, that, that Evan would be the guy that would – kind of most help offset the losses of Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. And he's a Swiss army knife. He plays anywhere in their, in their lineup. He can be on the wing. He can be at, at the center position. He can check, he can score. And his offensive game has really opened up this season. I know it's, it's never going to be, at least in my view, something that's going to be a 30 goal per year type guy. But at the, that said, he is very productive with Sid and Jake right now. And what's interesting to me is, you look back at the line that they had back in the day with Sid, and I'm not making the comparison apples to apples, but Sid with with Kunitz and Pascal Dupuis. There's probably a little bit of Dupuis in Evan Rodriguez. He may not be quite as productive as, as Duper was at times with, with that group, but he he's looked really good. He doesn't look intimidated playing with them. And the biggest thing is he doesn't defer to them. You know, that when you play a guy that's not at the maybe the quite same level as a Sidney Crosby or a a Jake Gensel, something like that. They tend to do that a little too much. You, you think back to to guys like Kip Miller or something here back in the day where they would just constantly feed the puck to, to Yarmir Yager or uh, Johan Herdina did that a whole lot over his years. They wouldn't take a shot. They would just pass. Evan Rodriguez doesn't do that. He, he goes out, he creates his own plays. He creates his own space. He's a great skater. And we love that shot that he's been ever been able to show off from the point. Uh, and even off the rush, he's not afraid to let it fly. And it's an accurate hard slap shot or wrist shot when he lets it loose. So I would say those two guys for me jump off the page as guys that are doing more than we probably anticipated coming into the season. We had seen glimpses of that shot from Evan Rodriguez in, in seasons past, but it seems like he's starting to actually come into his own with it and be a little bit more confident with it too, letting it loose a little bit more often than he did before. Yeah, uh, you're, you're right about that. And, and I know this was something that Paul Steigerwald has mentioned quite a bit when we were talking over the last few weeks based on his chances on the power play and the way he was, and he wasn't getting a whole lot of them, but when he would get the chance out there and the way he would shoot from the point, it had him ask the question of Evan one day about playing the point on the power play back when he was in college. And he said he did it all the time. He would love to get the opportunity to do that a little bit more. And he's very comfortable in that role. So I know he's still not really, out there in that spot as often as maybe we would like. But that's something I think we'll see as we move through the season, at least until you get Evgeny Malkin back, because that was the one thing when we're talking about the Penguins power play that I think is lacking a little bit is they don't really have that one timer. uh, And you just don't even see them setting up for it. That's something that I think Gino brings to the table whenever he Mm -hmm. is available, even if it doesn't work. They at least try and get him posted up at the top of the face-off circle, and they feed him those passes, and he takes that shot. That's something Rodriguez could probably do for them if need be, and maybe you'll see it a little bit more before Gino gets back in. But Evan Rodriguez is a very confident hockey player right now, and by all rights, they love him. I mean, his teammates think they clearly, they really enjoy his presence. He's a much more decent guy than I think I thought he was when he arrived, because I never like when somebody 
comes off of a situation where they've demanded a trade and it just doesn't work out with a team. And you would have thought a player like that with a, a pretty bad Buffalo team, he would have found a way to thrive because he could have played top six minutes a lot. And he kept finding his way out of the lineup when he was a member of the Sabres. Right now, he looks like a great citizen for this team, is a great player, plays in any situation they need him to. And who would have thought Evan Rodriguez would be a part-time leading scorer here until the last few weeks and a uh, a top a top line right winger. I mean, that that's unbelievable to me. Good for him. And then a first line center whenever all hell yeah. broke loose. Like it's, <laughs> I mean, Evan Rodriguez has been uh, pretty incredible. That was the, the, the best night when you saw that lineup come out. And it's like, oh, your new top line center, Evan Rodriguez. <laughs> Just like we all had on our bingo cards for the season, right, everybody? Yep. It's, it's I'm just, glad. It's, it's just unbelievable. And those are the cool stories, I think, that emerge yeah. when you have guys injured and you have other players willing to step up and do some good things for you. I'm glad you actually mentioned Evgeny Malkin a minute ago because he is seemingly getting closer. It's nice to see him with the team, eating sushi, enjoying the enjoying the locker room, and everybody <laughs> else is out there of working sushi, hard. Was it not? <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering if that was his order, if that was for the entire team. <laughs> the DoorDash guy was upset. He had to bring all that in. Yeah, he had to do the plating too and make sure it was set up nice. It was beautiful. It was nice. Uh, but uh, since he's getting closer to return, what do you think the lineup looks like when he finally makes his return? I mean, who's playing on the wings with Evgeny Malkin? Wow. You know, the, the main thing that I, it, and it's, this is a good problem to have because they, when everyone's healthy, they have so many bodies available at this point and there's going to be some tough decisions that are going to have to be made. One thing for sure. And we just discussed this last night. We think that the first thing that might be considered is putting Kapanen with him mm-hmm. just because they, they played so well together for periods of time last year. And you got to find some way to unlock that kid because he's been, the, probably the most anemic player on the roster at this point. And when we were talking about surprise players, he's probably a surprise in the wrong way because we all thought he would be a star this year with that speed and the way he played last season. So I think that you'll probably see Gino get a chance with Kasperi Kapanen. I don't know that it would be Jason Zucker on the other side at this point, just because I like the way he has looked with, with Jeff Carter and Carter with Heinen all of a sudden looked very good last night. So that trio might stay intact and, What's intriguing about this is if you keep your top line as it is, you have a Geno line with Kasperi Kapanen and somebody on the other side. You then have the Carter line that I just mentioned. Then you can still kind of have a very similar Bluger line that has been effective in the past where you could have Bluger, Czar, and Brock McGinn. And that leaves some big names out of the mix that then would be in running to be on the other wing of Evgeny Malkin. I think that is the one spot that is going to be the biggest competition right now guys have got to open the coaching staff's eyes to say, Hey, we want the right to try and be on Gino's other wing, at least while you experiment with Kasperi Kapanen working with him. But even as I say that about Kapanen, we've watched him fall from a second line role to a third line role to a fourth line role. And do you really want to immediately throw him with Gino? They might try it at first, but I think at this point, and this is just my opinion, he's probably closer to a healthy scratch for a night or two than he is to playing in your top six again right now today, based on what we're seeing. But I do think that would be a good, a good mix to try and get him going. And then we just have to figure out who's on the left wing with those two players before this is going to be all said and done. Uh, I know a couple of my media brethren here in Pittsburgh have thrown out the whole thing, which upsets every apple cart you can think of. They are dying to have Jeff Carter move up to Sid's right wing have Evan Rodriguez be a center and then start mixing and matching that way. I'm not on board with that. I like Jeff Carter where he's playing right now. 
that's just a lot of movement that yeah like we Why have you just the, screw everything up just for one guy coming back we have a lot of utilities that are able to do that are able to switch between wings and centers but that's just a lot of maneuvering for one simple move um but yeah uh, we couldn't let you get out of here without a music question so since like i mentioned before things have opened up a little more um have you gone back to any concerts yet? And do you have any on your calendar coming up? Because I'm back at Stage A again. I got moved up to the box office, and it's nice to be back, you know, around shows again all the time. I'm gonna have to stop down there and see you. I I haven't <laughs> uh, I haven't been to AE for a show since things opened back up. But I did my first thing back was I went to see '80s hair hair rockers, Faster Pussycat. Uh, they were at Jurgles out, out in Warrendale here. And it was awesome because they played with, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the band Enough's Enough. Um, they were another kind of 80s, 90s hair band. So they were the opener for Faster Pussycat, who I just have, I've always had a soft spot for them. And I, it was, I had never seen them. So I wanted to make sure to see them. And it was a very sparsely populated show, first of all, based on the acts. But secondly, uh, it still wasn't, I think there's yeah. still people tentative about going to things. So that was fun for a first one back. Uh, we saw the Black Crows this summer when they played at uh, the amphitheater, which was excellent. They played their entire first album, the Shake Your Money Maker album, and that was really good with some other hits. Uh, we saw Kiss uh, out there, and actually, that was a crazy story, and not to to bore you with the details, but they had a, a first date that was in August, I believe. Yeah. And then Paul Stanley mm -hmm. got COVID. We were in traffic waiting to get off the exit in Burgettstown. And nobody announced anything. The traffic was backed up at least a mile and a half on the highway. And we're trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Some crazy guy gets out of a car a few ahead of, ahead of us, walks out in the weeds and relieves himself mm -hmm. and then walks back. And he's knocking on everybody's car window saying, the show's effing canceled, man. Someone's sick. And we're yeah. like, what? What's going on here? But yeah, so then they rescheduled for October and we were there. Um, and I'm trying to think what I have upcoming. I have Ghost and Volbeat which I'm afraid is going to get screwed up by the Olympics, which I, I, I've oh, told yeah. them. It's like, you know what? If you suddenly put a game on that night, I'm not giving up my tickets to that show because <laughs> I bought them, you know, thinking we would have that. And then we have a bunch of stuff coming up in the summer, hopefully that's rescheduled from last year, including the uh, Motley Crue, Def Leppard, yep. uh, PNC Park show. Yeah. I don't, we, me and Brian, have a buddy who does stagehand work a lot of, for a lot of shows out at the pavilion. He said he was working when the kiss news happened on the original show. Um, so he knew all the details about that before you probably did in, in the traffic. And anyone who's been to the amphitheater knows that traffic on the highway. Well, it's... and you know what? We haven't seen that happen in years where you get to the exit and, and the cars were completely backed up at a standstill. Yeah. I mean, there's traffic all the time there, but yeah. they're moving at least. Well, apparently what happened, and you may have heard this just from, you know, your behind the scenes information. Yeah. They, they closed the lots to try and get everybody out. So all the traffic yeah. that was incoming still was kind of just at a standstill. So just to put it in perspective, we left our house uh, in Ohio Township at probably 4.30. We stopped in Robinson and grabbed a bite to eat, got on the highway to the amphitheater, sat in traffic for what seemed like at least an hour and a half, got off the exit finally, and got right back on the highway and drove home. So yep. after leaving here at 4.30, we got back to our house at about 8.15 or 8.30. Yeah. So a four-hour odyssey with no show, but we did have blaze pizza. So it was, and, um, it was intriguing. So that, that was crazy that it happened that way, but we were glad that they were able to get us rescheduled so quick because as kiss typically does, if you look at their schedule, they literally had 
almost every other day concert scheduled through May of next year <laughs> for their farewell yeah. tour. I'm like, there's no way they're getting back here at any time in the near future. And lo and behold, they got here in October. So that was, that was well worth it. But that was, that was probably one of my, and I probably said this to you guys before when we talked, that was one of the main things I missed during the whole mm -hmm. pandemic was live music. Yeah. So getting back to it was, was really fun. And, and it was awesome to be a part of concerts again. And uh, I would have been at AE if the uh, there was Exodus Testament and Death Angel had scheduled a show for November and then yeah. they pushed it back. And I just ended up getting a refund because I'm like, I'm sure it's not going to sell out. I can get tickets again if I want to, but that would have been my first foray back into stage AE and we do have a Roxy and show coming up. I left off, which I'm really excited about. And you guys follow me. So, you know, that I'm, I'm yeah. into some crazy stuff. Me and uh, Vinny, who does the music at the arena are pumped because mayhem Norwegian black metal gods mayhem are coming back to Pittsburgh with Watain and they will be at the Roxy in, in may, I believe. So we're pretty fired up about that one. That's good. <laughs> Assuming they, they can get into the country and have no yeah. issues because they're coming from Norway and Sweden. Cause, uh, Watain is from Sweden. That's, well, Matt's. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You're good. I'm saying that's just wild music. I was just thinking out loud. <laughs> <laughs> Give them a try. You, you'll love yeah. it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, Mets. Uh, let everybody know where they can find you on social media and anything else you want to pump out here. Uh, just you have the floor. Thank you. Um, as usual, you can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Metzer. There is a Brian Metzer, all one word. I may have shared this with you before as well. He's some sort of evangelist or something in Ohio, uh, polar opposite of me. I'm not an, ev uh, an evangelist, but I may have money hidden in my wall like Joel Osteen. You never know. Um, but <laughs> I don't. I wish I did. But yeah, so at Brian underscore Metzer, uh, my Instagram, I believe, is the same handle. And if you just want a more behind the scenes view of craziness, such as the mayhem concert or my cat or anything else. You can find that there uh, available for all intermission reports, post game shows on the penguins radio network. Paul Steigerwald and I are uh, part of that post game show. And we do every Saturday morning on one Oh five, nine, the X obviously with our penguins live weekly still have from the point.com, which is still not quite as active as I would like it to be because I've been running wild with all my radio stuff, but that is my official writing outlet um, that I'm trying to get back into doing again. And, uh, for now, that's probably the the bulk of it. I have a couple other irons in the fire in terms of some writing stuff, which I can share with you guys down the line if uh, that comes to pass. Awesome. Well, Mets, as always, you're always welcome back. You're one of our favorite guests to have on. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. Of course, guys. I uh, appreciate you having me on. I always enjoy catching up with you. And uh, I know we don't get to talk as often as we would probably like, but it's fun when we get to do it on these on these platforms. So thanks for having me. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network as well as DraftKings. Make sure you use promo code THPN at the DraftKings Sportsbook app for great odds and even better opportunities. Again, that's promo code THPN at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Make sure you use promo code THPN. I'll say it 100 times as long as you use it at sign up because it's 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 a great deal. It really is. So shout-outs and call-outs. Shout-out to, to Brian Metzer, first and foremost, joining the show once again. Recurring guest now, friend of the show, great guy, loves the game. Can't say 
enough good things about Brian Metzler. So thank you so much for joining the show, Metz. Can't wait to have you on again talking Penguins hockey. Loved everything he said about Evan Rodriguez, especially coming off of Erod having a three-point game. And he specifically talked about the slap shot. So I, I absolutely love that. And the one-timer on the power play. So thank you again to, to Brian Metzer. But Horwat, let's get into our shout-outs and call-outs here. Uh, who do you shout-out? I'll let you lead it off. Leading off. Uh, i got to pull my list back up. There we go. Shouting out. I, I don't know if this happened prior to last time we recorded a Thursday episode, but it still warrants it. Um, shouting out Pittsburgh slash Plum native Pat McAfee for signing a huge, massive contract with a sports betting company that shall not be named. Just say, uh, yeah, the B yeah, team. They shall not be named, but it, that's not why we're shouting him out here. It is because of how much of that money he gave back to a his Plum community, b the Indianapolis community, and c just everyone he could think of. Did you watch that whole seventeen minute video? Of him announcing everything? I listened to the podcast version because I listened to the podcast whenever I, I drive That's around. So I, I listened yeah. to it. That's yeah. all you needed. And just the list kept going of things he was giving money to. And West Virginia? I forgot about West Virginia, yeah. Uh, good. It's just incredible stuff on his part where a punter who turned into a media mogul out of overnight, basically. Sure, he had his little stint at Barstool, but that's really what gave him his... his uh, audience and his voice and his brand for the brand um mm-hmm. huge amount of money that even he said he doesn't deserve that money but the company that shall not be named gave him a fat check and he decided to split it up amongst a ton of different groups and that's awesome stuff and we love when pittsburgh natives do shit like this that's the best mm-hmm. part of it sure plum is a weird area of pittsburgh where it's not necessarily pittsburgh but it still is it's i mean the greater Pittsburgh area spreads damn near until uh, Connellsville and uh, basically Youngstown, Ohio. I couldn't remember where Ballard's from. Why can't I remember it now? Newcastle, Newcastle. thank you. I have family in Newcastle, too. Yeah, it, the greater Pittsburgh area pretty much spreads all the way up to Newcastle and Connellsville, if not further out, Uniontown areas, you know, all the way up to Johnstown, even. No? no. It's not Pittsburgh out there? No. Uh, no, we're no. That's what it seems like sometimes. We don't we don't consider ourselves in the Pittsburgh area. We're Pittsburgh adjacent. Yeah. No, it's just that's the way it seems sometimes though. And but Plum is in there. They're in the Pittsburgh area for sure. And Pittsburgh native. I call them Pittsburgh native all the time, not Plum native. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're from that area, you usually say you're a Pittsburgh native. Nobody like goes around and says, you know, I'm a I'm Bellevue native. Greenfield. Greenfield native, yeah. I'm I'm Wilkinsburg native. No, that's usually Pittsburgh native. That's that's where people go with that. Yeah, but it was uh incredible stuff all around, so good for him. Big stuff. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the Pat McAfee show. I, I listen to it at least three times a week, you know. I, I enjoy him and the boys and I obviously love listening to AJ Hawk and, and Aaron Rodgers, which make it I was a lot about to say fun, I've been but, skipping you know, the Aaron Rodgers section, him. but yes. <laughs> Oh, no, I love the Aaron Rodgers section. I think it's hilarious. But uh, $120 million over Woo! three years. So it's, it's a nice it's a, it's a nice chunk of change for That's him. a lot of money. My shout-out this week, and I've mentioned him three or four times on this show already, so of course I'm going to shout him out this week. Bob Grove on Twitter, at Bob Grove. I believe it's, is it 91 or 61? I think I might have typoed that. 
one of the two. I retweet it 100% of the time. So uh, you can definitely find it on any of the socials that I run. Um, Bob Grove on Twitter. Fantastic Penguin stats, tidbits every single day, including Mike Sullivan's first lineup. We talked about Mike Sullivan and his six-year anniversary on Monday's episode. The first lineup for Mike Sullivan as Penguins head coach. I'm going to run down through this. These names. Oh, they're fun. Forwards. We'll go forwards. Then we'll comment. We'll go defensemen. Then we'll comment. Then we'll go goalies and we'll comment. Forwards. First line, Chris Kunitz, Sidney Crosby, Bo Bennett. Second line, David Perron, Evgeny Malkin, Phil Kessel. Third line, Eric Fair, Nick Bonino, Patrick Hornfist. And fourth line, Sergei Plotnikov, Matt Cullen, Daniel Sprong. How about those forwards? You know what? That's not a totally awful team. Uh, I mean, Bo, Bo Bennett, Bennett being on the first line is, is now, questionable. Yes. He spent more time on Twitter now than he spent on the ice as a, as a Correct. As a I love that second line, to be fair. If it was good, David Perron. Uh, yeah, it, it's not St. Louis Blues and or Vegas Golden Knights 56 assist David Perron. It's, that's it not was, who we it, had. It, it was number 30. It was, he was 57, but he may as well have been number 39, David Perron. Uh, yeah. The third line also sounds decent. Eric Fair is a fourth liner, though, to be blatant. At that point in yeah. his career, yeah. Uh, but then that, that fourth you said that fourth line. You said Sergey Plotnikov. We love that yes. name around here. Sergey Plotnikov, Daniel Sprong before he knew how to play hockey at the professional level, and Matt Cullen before he became a coach. Yeah, it's not a totally god awful lineup. I think I'd take it over if you go back. I guarantee exactly one year prior. I bet that's a much better lineup, or I bet. The one you just read off is much better than the one exactly a year prior. Yeah. The, you mean the actual full year of Mike Johnston, who I had some weird phrasing with on Monday? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Uh, defenseman Dumoulin Lovejoy is the top pairing. Oli Mata and David Warsofsky is the second pairing. Adam Clendenning and Ian Cole is the third pairing. Letang yeah, Latang was, was hurt. Someone else had to be hurt in there for Warsofsky and Clendenning to be in the lineup. Mm-hmm. Can't think of who our defensive core would have been back then. It, it it's well it's been six years so and uh by the way goaltenders flurry and uh his name is jeff mr game one jeff zadkoff so this would have been before the before matt murray ever put on a i was going back to the defensive pairings this would have been before the skidari trade then and for daily yes yeah. and no schultz yet although we didn't play him that yeah. year anyway um well we played him he just didn't that's that's interesting uh yeah that that was the lineup six years ago for the pittsburgh penguins beautiful because it was mike sullivan he was the reason why guys like brian russ got called up connor sherry that year got called up um matt murray eventually Gensel the following season yeah and then Gensel the next year yeah he was the reason for all of that and he you know sang his praises a lot last week or last Mm -hmm. was that monday Monday's episode. We can continue that until he's gone. So, yeah. So yeah, shout out to uh, Bob Grove for that little tidbit and all the tidbits that he puts on there. Honestly, a lot of the stuff I say on here, and most ninety nine percent of the time, I give him credit because that's where it comes from. But I I love every time I see Bob Grove, especially right before a game, he puts like thirty tweets in the last ten minutes before puck drop about that game, and it's just like holy crap! Like if, if you're somebody like. Like Getzov, who we had on the show last week, like Steve Mears, who we've had on the show before, you're like, you probably already have all these stats in front of you, not to lie, because the the packet they get at the beginning of a game 
is extensive. Not to mention the fact that they're doing research and everything all the time anyway. But, like, just looking at that, you can get through the at least the first period with just facts and tidbits. So, just great job on Bob Grove. But uh, let's let's move over to call-outs, Horwat. Um, I'll start because I feel like you have a nice call-out. So, I'll let you uh, wrap it up. But I will start calling out the Washington football team. Crazy game on Sunday against the Dallas Cowboys on losing by a score of 27 to 20. They literally almost came back to cover this plus six and a half. Uh, if they would have, there would have been a lot of angry betters because a lot of people bet the Dallas Cowboys. They've been a really good team against the spread. So they almost gave that up. And Dak Prescott, jeez, that interception was awful. And a lot of people were, were just losing their minds over that. But my call out is for, I believe, three reasons. That the uh, Dallas Cowboys just dunking on the Washington football team. They're basically not even little brother. They're like their, I don't know, pet squirrel, I guess. Uh, pre-game shirts. Washington football game team, before every game, has a pregame shirt with the matchup and the logos in their team store every single game. The Dallas Cowboys did not permit them to use their logo for this week. <laughs> because uh, the Dallas Cowboys own all of their merchandise, uh. and they run it as a separate entity. And they said, and Jerry Jones specifically, he he's the one that probably said, no, they can't have that. They can't make money off of our stuff. Sorry. So there's one. They got dunked on there. Secondly, Dallas brought their own player benches. That was hysterical. Because the Washington football team doesn't have heated benches. Why does Dallas have heated benches? You play in a dome in Dallas. They bought them specifically for this. Not only did they get benches, but they had the Cowboys stuff. They wanted to make sure everybody knew that the Washington football team's benches were trash. So they will not, like, their, their butts are too good for the Washington football team benches, like road benches. And then the worst thing of all, obviously Taylor Heineke was on the run from Micah Parsons all freaking day long. Micah Parsons had a great game. Eventually gets him hurt, walking off the field with the trainers, and there's scissors on the freaking field. Yes. That's a little bit of a safety hazard. So, uh, no. And there, obviously there's already the, the, the poop stuff that's going on at FedEx Field. But, no, that's, that's a dump. Can I... Like, FedEx Field, the Washington football team, that's a dump, especially compared to MetLife Stadium that's in their division, AT&T Stadium that's in their division, and I haven't been there, but I would imagine Lincoln Financial Field in Philly is much nicer. I know the you've link been there, is, so I'll defer to you The link that. is okay. Uh, it's in Philly, so it's already got minus points. And I I don't remember if the link does, but I know their old stadium had a, had a legitimate prison and judge on site at all times. I mean, that's um, fair. It's yeah. Philly. But uh, to vouch for the Washington football team, to vouch for the name redacted on the scissors thing, is it possible it fell out of a medical person's bag whenever they had to come out to take care of two injuries? Uh, possibly, but the injured player should not be the guy that. That's fair. That. But at the same time, I'm just vouching here that things just fall out of things <laughs> just fall out of bags. I've had my laptop fall out of my bag before. Like things just yeah collapse. Things happen. The. If you want yeah. to call out the, the plumbing situation, go for it. Stage E had a really yeah. weird plumbing issue not that long ago. Um, shockingly, that nothing was damaged in the walls. But things happen like that, so I'll vouch for them on that. Otherwise, the the benches, hysterical. I, that's so funny to me. And uh, the logos thing. I think it's interesting that they make... I, I like that they make shirts for every game. That's cool. And just 
yeah, that's a nice little souvenir for players. Like people that don't always go to games, that's a cool souvenir. But this, the, the the Cowboys said, yeah, no, not <laughs> the today. The Cowboys said, no, this is this is a rivalry game. You're not getting that, and that's fun. That's that's impressive. I like that. So, yeah, I mean, it, the, your name is also the football team. You know, you got you got reason, you got other reasons to call them out for stuff. You know, and you haven't been able I to mean, change it. They're they're owning they're owning the Washington football team name. Yeah, at least. and you haven't. Been, what it was before and everything that happened before that, yeah, I could call them out for that easily. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And plus, you haven't been able to change it yet because of office like front office issues. Like they were, I remember the headlines. They were like multiple days away from making an official announcement on a new team name, and then bullshit happened and they couldn't. So, yeah, yeah, no. The any any given week is a good week to call out the Washington football team. So. Mm-hmm. Just name them the Guardians like Cleveland did, and we'll just make that a staple. The Guardians. Yeah, that's yeah, I, awful. Yeah, and it's even funnier that the roller derby team sued them over it. And, of course, I mean, it's the big MLB thing, you know, not won the case, but I think just can't trademark it a certain way now. It's basically what the Golden Knights had to do. Yeah. Yeah, well. Or what your call out to end the show? Yes, I mentioned those the Zegers and Milano goal before. Uh, yeah, I'm John Tortorella making the making the waves again. Not so much for his old man yells at clouds rant over, but for the fact that he specifically, word for word, multiple times said that that play is not good for the game. There is the whole six minute video, the whole other six minute video of him talking with Ray Ferraro about it. I'm not, I'm not focused on all that. That's stuff you can watch for yourself. The whole not good for the game part. What are you doing? You're you want to, you know what else is not good for the game? Going to the other team's locker room to start bullshit. You know what else is not good yeah. for the game? Half the other things he's done. <laughs> John Tortorella, man. Uh, someone said this that the ESPN and TNT panels need young people. No one on those panels is under 40, except for like a handful. Like there's a small handful. But most of them, it's 40-year-olds and over and former coaches and former players who played in the old era that aren't, if in John Tortorella's case, aren't open to this new skill style of play. Because what else did he say in that? He said, if someone tried that, you'd get ran. Rick DiPietro followed it up with, I'd run after them if they did that to me. First of all, Rick, no, you wouldn't. Rick DiPietro is not really one to talk with his track record when it comes to fighting exactly. and hockey. So over two on that panel on, cause I, I forget who the head of that panel was, but he was just like, guys, what are you, what are you doing? I'm trying to run. A- it's probably Ardo Cal. I forget who it was. It was during the Penguin game. Though. It, That's the other thing. It was, it was, yeah, it was Ardo Cal on, on yeah, Friday Yeah, it was night. during the Penguin game. Uh, he just kind of looked like, what are you guys doing? Like, <laughs> I'm trying to have, like, fun conversations over this, and John Tortorella's out here just tearing it down of, I'd have had a conversation with those boys. Uh, you would have gotten ran in my era for it. Sure, you would have, but guess what? We're not in that era anymore. And for what it's worth, yeah. Ray Ferraro did um, mention, you know, hey, if you try that and it goes down the other way and you because you couldn't do it and it fails and it's a goal on the other end, then you look like an ass. But guess what? That's not what happened. Yeah. So, Ray Ferraro being a 
legend and just being devil's advocate, but also John Tortorella being an ass and yelling at clouds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, John Tortorella is not going to change. No. So, so you when anything like this happens, you know he's going to be against it, like vehemently against it. So that's fine. I mean, Rick DiPietro. I listen. I've liked him so far, but that comment is just like, okay, sure, you'd go after him. You allowed it to happen. So, are you really going to go after him when it's a circus thing? But it made you look bad. That's why you're going after him because you're embarrassed. And it's not like he was a good goaltender anyway. But no, it, for the majority of those, I, I I like a lot of what we've seen from a lot of the panels on ESPN and TNT. I think if anybody asks, I mean Liam McHugh, Wayne Gretzky, Rick Tockett. Paul Bissonnette. I love that panel. Yeah, there might be, you know, talk it's a little bit old school. Biz Nasty made his career on it, so he's going to lean towards that a little bit. Liam still has that NBC stink on him <laughs> a little bit, but he's starting to get rid of it. But, like, that's good. ESPN, I've noticed, and they haven't done it with Tortorella because he's, like, their new... I mean, it's ratings. He's going to stay on that show. Barry Melrose has not been on ESPN very much at all. So ESPN is making a conscious decision to take off, like, trash. Because Barry Melrose didn't make headlines. He was just bad. John Tortorella at least makes headlines. His name still carries weight. Barry Melrose is, does not. But then there's guys like, I like Ryan Callahan on there. I've liked DPHRO. I, I think Kevin Weeks is phenomenal. So I'm not going to go against the, the networks and what they've done. Generally, I think they've done a good job in their first season. But, you know, Tortorella, he's always going to be old man yells at clouds. So that's clearly... You know, obviously warranted that he gets a call out because that's, I mean, to say that that's not good that for the game, that's, that this is what is good for the game. This is what the game needs is, you know, creativity, individuality. It's a team game. We understand that. And it, above all, it ends up as a team game, but you need a little bit more individuality. Hence the reason, you know, Austin Matthews is one of the most marketed players in the National Hockey League right now because he's very, very unique. Yeah. And I'll, to be fair, to bring it back to the Penguins thing again, that captain and goal, not that it was an, uh, as an exact opposite, but the goal part of it, just batting it out of the air right at the crossbar like that, similar stuff. Mm-hmm. You're going to be mad at Kaepernick for tipping it over your goalie, over the Jake Allen's glove? No, he's going to be praised because it's ingenuity, making something work within in the confines of the, the old style of the game. That would have happened in the olden days if people actually had talent to do it. So... Yeah, he'd probably be fine with that, but you know the, the fact that he doesn't like the Zegers goal is just literally him getting ratings for ESPN. Yeah, but he's doing it in the wrong way. I mean, he's doing it in his way. He's not going to get ratings. Like, I mean, I guess it, it would probably get a lot of views if it was him saying, oh, I love this. Like, that, I'm sure that would get like twice as many views, but it's going to be like, oh, you're clearly doing this just to get people to like you. He just, I don't know. It's an interesting topic and he's wrong but i find him entertaining i don't particularly agree with a lot of his takes but i find him entertaining oh well he's 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 on a hot streak though he told mcdavid to shut up by the way the uh the oilers now suck yeah yeah they've uh they if the sharks would have won on tuesday night they would have jumped the oilers the sharks ladies and gentlemen yeah the oilers would have been i believe that would put them in fifth or sixth they're in the last wild card spot right now oh okay that's from a team that was uh, at the top of the west for a time being but uh before we go one last thing this is going to be a long episode i just realized that penguins five wins in a row 
5-1 and one in the month of December, and you look at the rest of the December schedule, and, uh, you know, I'm not going to say they're going to win every game, but it uh, looks like a good schedule. Got the Sabres on Friday. Home and home with the Devils next week. You got the Flyers, who are, I mean, they're catching their footing, but they're still really bad this year. You got the Bruins that are now without Bergeron and Marshawn because of COVID. You got the Maple Leafs, though. That is the, the first team to win 20 games this year in the NHL. Austin Matthews has 20 goals. That's pretty impressive. Uh, and then you have the Senators, who, even though they won on Tuesday 8-2 to against the Panthers, are still the Ottawa Senators. So they have some players, and they embarrassed us the last time we played them. But, uh, no, you look at that schedule. Penguins should uh, have a good record by the end of the month of December if all goes well. Man, you hope so. That is going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. Thank you again to Brian Metzer for joining the show. Thank you to everybody for tuning into the show. We will see you guys next week, hopefully talking about a couple more Pittsburgh Penguins wins. But that's going to do it for this one. Have a good weekend, Pens fans. You can follow us on Twitter at NickHorwat41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. This podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts from, so please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can visit them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet or at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com. Every team, everywhere.